Hey, if you have a Bible, Matthew 28 is where we're gonna continue this morning. Matthew 28, we've been in this series over the last couple of weeks together. We take the month of August every single year and we come back to the Great Commission, which uh, are some of the final words that Jesus spoke in his earthly ministry. Right after he'd been raised from the dead, right before he returns to his heavenly Father, he, he, he speaks this, this common passage that's known as the Great Commission, and every year we take the month of August, and we just come back to this as a church, and we go, hey, let's be reminded of one of the core reasons for our existence. This is not the only reason that we exist as a church, but this is, this is a, a big part of why we exist as a family of faith here in the city of Nashville right now. So every year before we get into all of the, the craziness of the fall schedule, we take this month and we just go, okay, God, why'd you put us here? What have you called us to do? How do we live this out, whether we're a college student or a stay-at-home mom or a business person or an accountant or we're here to make it big in the music business, whatever it is that has brought you to the city of Nashville, whatever it is that you think has brought you to the city of Nashville, I would humbly suggest that this is ultimately the calling and the purpose of your life. So every month we just kind of come back to, or every year we come back to it, and we take a month and go, hey, let's just re realign our, our lives around it. And so Andrew and Brandon have done an awesome job over the last couple of weeks just kind of setting the, the table for us, and this morning we're just gonna keep unpacking it. So let me pray over us, and we're gonna jump into Matthew 28 this morning. Are you guys doing good? Everybody, everybody doing good this morning? Great to, great to see you, great to be together. Let me pray, and uh, we'll jump into Matthew 28. Father, uh, I love you, Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you, and we just thank you for the opportunity. Um, Lord, I, just, I confess, I take it for granted so often, just the opportunity to gather in a place like this with so many people that are turning their hearts and their faces to your son, Jesus. And God, we're all in different places in that journey, but Lord, would you just continue to just illuminate the reality of who you are in our lives and that, Lord, even as we leave these gatherings on Sunday, as we leave our house churches, as we leave our disciple gatherings, discipleship gatherings, God, as we leave, would, would there just be a, a, a shine upon our face like Moses who came down from the mountain? Would there just be this, this shining reality of people that have been marked by the presence of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord? And So God, this morning, whatever you wanna do, whatever you wanna say, however you wanna move, God, would you move? Would you... Would you surprise us? Would you surprise us by capturing our hearts with your radical and yet simple agenda this morning? God, stir us. Shake us out of the doldrums of consumer Christianity. And God, would you awaken a movement across our city, the nation, and the nations. In the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. And together we say, amen. amen. Remember years ago, three or four years ago, Sydney and I got this invitation to um, go meet with this organization, this philanthropic organization that we've done a lot of neat things with over the years. They've been so generous to what God's been doing here at Ethos and through our global disciple-making ministry called Onward and through our citywide movements called Awaken. This, this group's given a lot of resource, a lot of time, a lot of energy. And so they called Sydney and I uh, if we could come over to a meeting and we thought, all right, this is the meeting every year where we show up and they give a lot of resource to do great ministry. And so we showed up at this meeting and and once again, they were just unbelievably generous. They're like, hey, here's some stuff that we wanna do to spur on what's happening here in the city and what's happening in the nation and what's happening all across the nations. We wanna give to that. But they said, this year we wanna do something different as well. They said, on top of everything that we wanna do as an organization for the work that's happening here, we wanna give you all just a, a huge amount of money and you've got 30 days to give it away 
to other Christian ministries that have no connection with what you're doing here in the city. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the joy of giving away a lot of money before. Um, I mean, Sydney and I do it all the time because we're super rich and super kind. <laughs> I'm joking, like, I wish we could. Like, uh, it, it is honestly, if you've ever given money away, whether it's a lot or a little, it's, it's so much more fun to be Santa than to receive something from Santa. It is so much more fun to just give away. And that month, we're like, man, God, like, who do you wanna bless and what do you wanna do and how's this gonna work? And we're dreaming together, we're praying together, and we're giving away all of this resource for the glory of God. And what was so cool was every time we showed up and we gave away this resource, because these people knew us, they knew it had not come from us. They're like, there's no way this couple gave this money away. And so if you never had the joy of giving like that, uh, especially the joy of giving somebody else's money away, I wanna encourage you to do that sometime. Uh, do it legally, don't, don't be illegal, but it, it's an amazing thing to just go, hey, we wanna pour out like this generosity that's been given, we wanna share it. And I was thinking about that this week because if I had to sum up what I believe is just the essence of the Christian experience, it's what Sydney and I experienced a few years ago at that organization. The essence of the Christian experience is a person or a group of people, I believe, that have come face to face with the undeserved, unexpected, lavish generosity of God's kindness toward us. And then we turn around and we go, this kindness, this generosity, this, this lavish pursuit of the Lord on our lives is not to be hoarded, it's not to be stored up for a rainy day, it's not to be just for ourselves, like the goal of your life, it doesn't matter what your job is, I believe the calling on our lives is to, be recognize, to recognize what God has poured out on us and then open our eyes and to go, and God, who do we need to share that with? Who do we need to pour that blessing out on so that when that blessing flows through us, they go, oh, that didn't come from us. And just in case you're not tracing the metaphor, I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about you've been recipients of the Father's forgiveness and his mercy and his provision and his healing and his generosity. I was just thinking this morning, if my high school friends showed up this morning and they didn't know what I'd been doing over the last 25 years, if they just showed up in this space, they'd probably be pretty surprised by who I've become. And they go, what's happened? I go, God's been kind. <laughs> Anything you see is just the kindness of God, the lavish generosity of God, and we just get to pour it out. And I believe this is the, the essence of the Christian journey, of the Christian calling. You see it from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures. You know, in Genesis chapter one, it's the first great commission, Genesis 1, 27 through 28, where God makes Adam and Eve, and maybe you remember this story. Do you remember the first thing God does towards Adam and Eve? So he brings them together, he officiates their wedding, and it says, and he blessed them. And then he said, now go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the reality of this blessing. I mean, this is the heart of what it means to be human, walking in friendship with God. You recognize you've received the Father's blessing, and now you're a conduit of the blessing wherever you go. A few hundred years later, God shows up to this guy named Abraham, an absolute pagan, not seeking the Lord, living in his father's basement, you know, just minding his own business, God snatches Abraham out of obscurity, calls him into something great. It's the second great commission in scripture. Maybe you remember this in Genesis chapter 12. God looks at Abraham, and what does he do? He says, I'm gonna bless you. Why? So you can be a blessing to all the people of the earth. It's the heartbeat of the Christian story. And then you get to, to Matthew chapter 28, the third great commission. <laughs> And these disciples, they've been living in friendship with Jesus for three years. They've had a front row seat 
to what the human life can be like when God is behind the steering wheel. Like they're like, this is what it means to be human. They had a front row seat to the miraculous. They had a front row seat to the redemptive forgiveness of God. They had a front row seat to mercy and to joy and the life they'd seen all of it for three years. And then Jesus is brutally murdered in front of them. Three days later, he raises from the dead. He looks at his disciples and he goes, now this blessing that you have received, I'm sending you to the nations to pour it out. This thing that you've received, it's not to be hoarded, it's not to be hidden, because I want you to be a conduit of it wherever you go. And I'm convinced that if we don't understand the heart of the Great Commission, we'll hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 28 and we'll hear it through the wrong lens. If you don't understand the heart of a father that's pouring out his generosity on his children and pouring it through them for the sake of the world to the ends of the world, you'll hear Matthew 28 like a drill sergeant giving his soldiers instructions. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go make disciples. Or you hear it like a politician that says, hey, here's the party line. Go out and get people to check the box and to vote for me. But Matthew 28 are not the words of a general or not the words of a politician. It's the words of a great father who loves his children, who's doing everything in his power through the cross and the resurrection and the return of Jesus to bring the family back together. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he goes, this is what you were put on earth for, to extend the blessing. And this is what we've been unpacking over the last couple of weeks together. I love this Matthew 28. We're just gonna read through these five verses again and this morning we're just gonna hone in on just a short part of it as we think about what it means to be conduit to this blessing. But listen to Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. There's 11 of them because Judas, in his shame, has taken his life at this point. So there's 11. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped Jesus, but some of them doubted. And this is what Andrew talked about a few weeks ago. I just wanna be really clear if, if ethos is gonna be your church family, we have to understand that the Great Commission is for every one of us. I'm not gonna have you do that awkward thing where you turn to somebody you don't know and tell them something you don't wanna tell them, but if I were going to do something like that, I would have you turn to the person next to you and say, hey, what Jesus is about to say is for you. And it's for me, and it's for the person beside you, and the person in front of you, and the person behind you. I love this. Jesus looks at this, and he doesn't say, hey, the Great Commission is for the spiritual professionals. It's not for the spiritually elite. It's not for those that are radical for Christ. He goes, the worshipers and the doubters, this is, this is the same thing for all of us. So Andrew talked about it a few weeks ago. Verse 18, and then Jesus came to them. I love this. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He goes, if my teachings and my miracles hadn't done it, let my resurrection be proof that I'm now in charge. Verse 19, he says, this is what I want you to do because I'm in charge. Go and make disciples of all the nations. When we talk about that, that idea of all the nations in a couple of weeks as we wrap this up together, we're gonna skip over that this morning. But don't be lulled to sleep. When he says all the nations, he means all the nations. And I believe some of you this year are starting the year in Nashville and some of you will end the year in a place you never imagined. I believe a church is marked not by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. <laughs> I believe God's gonna do something great there. Listen to this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. Same heart in Genesis 1, same heart in Genesis 12, same heart that you see all throughout the scripture, a group of humans that have come face to face with the lavish, unexpected, undeserved kindness of God. They go, we've received it, now we wanna turn around and distribute it for the sake of those that are around us. We just wanna, we just wanna give it away. We wanna pour it out on, on others. And so last week, Brandon unpacked this idea of what it means to be a disciple and to make a disciple, and he gave us this definition. We're not gonna unpack it this morning, but just to kind of refresh your memory, he said a disciple is somebody that's following Jesus, somebody that's being transformed by Jesus, and somebody that's committed to the ways and the words and the works of Jesus. And so Jesus goes, I have all authority. You've been my disciples. I'm now sending you out to make disciples. And then this morning, we're gonna unpack, okay, what does it look like practically to do that in such a way that we become conduits of the blessing that God has given us? And I just wanna explore two things this morning out of verse 19 and out of verse 20. Here's what it looks like to, to live in that blessing and here's what it looks like to pour it out. So look back at verse 19 with me. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of what? In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. So for the, the type of person that takes notes, I love this, Jesus is gonna say, hey, in order for the people around you, I just want you to imagine your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, people in unreached nations. He goes, in order for them to step into the extravagant blessing of life with God, he goes, you've gotta understand that part of your role is to invite them to go all in with Jesus. If you take notes, this is, this is one of the essence, uh, this is like a, a foundational reality of what it means to make a disciple is, is you humbly and gently and relationally you invite the people in your sphere of influence to go all in with Jesus, to go all in. Jesus is gonna say, hey, listen, what you guys have experienced, talking to his disciples, what you guys have experienced over the last three years, you don't get to it with half-hearted devotion. <laughs> you can't have one foot in the church and one foot in the world and expect to experience all that you've experienced. You, you don't get this with cultural Christianity. You don't get this with the fumes of your parents' religion. He said, you get this sort of blessing when, when you make the commitment to go all the way in. Look back at verse 19. He says, I'm gonna send you out, and here's what I'm gonna invite you to do is at some point, when you see curiosity and hunger, hunger in the life of the people you're discipling, he goes, I want you to what? Somebody shout it out. I want you to, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He goes, I literally want you to take them to a river. I want you to dunk them in the water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want them to experience immersion into the life of God, this radical declaration of what it is that God has done in your life. He goes, this is one of the ways that you enter into the blessing is you invite people to go all in. And I think, I think about the way that this works in every relationship. I remember uh, when Sydney and I met, yeah, so much of my life with Jesus, I can see in parallel circles with my life with Sydney. I don't know if that's healthy or not. Uh, maybe you can send me into counseling. I'm not sure if, if, if what that means about me. But I just think about my life with Jesus, and I see so many parallel tracks. I remember uh, meeting Sydney my first day in college. You know, so for the first 18 years of my life, I did not even know she existed. I did not even know she was a human being. And then I show up, and she is my new student orientation leader. And let me tell you, she oriented me really well. And uh, I was fantastically oriented, never leaving this school ever. And didn't know she existed, and then all of a sudden, she's my new student orientation leader. Now I know she existed, and 
I'm intrigued and uh, I'm attracted and I'm curious and then we like each other and we start dating and, and then it's like I really like her and then there's that point in my heart where I'm like, is this still like or is this love? Have any of you felt that before? You're like, how do I know if it's love? How do I know if it's like? And then I knew I loved her but I didn't know how to say it because I was scared to death and so I'm like, I don't know that I can say it and she said it first and that embarrassed me but you know, <laughs> It's just true, and so it's like, ah, I know I love you, and, 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 and then all of a sudden I was able to tell her, but I didn't know how to tell other people that I loved her. I was scared to, to say it out loud, and then there became the moment where it's like, I wanna tell everybody that I love her. And then I don't know how to de define it, but something happens in a relationship where all of a sudden I went, you know what, all bets are off. Not only do I want everybody to know I love her, for the rest of my life I want them to know that. So let's rent a tux. Let's get a chapel, let's invite all of our friends, or at least the ones we wanna pay 30 bucks a head for dinner for, let's invite them over, let's stand in front of them, and let's declare our love for each other. 23 years old, standing in this chapel, making promises that are just blowing my mind, it's like, what were we doing? But something had shifted, something had shifted in us, and that night as we're standing at the altar, a couple of things were happening. We were announcing something, and we were renouncing some other things. We were announcing love, we were announcing intention, we were announcing longing, we were announcing commitment, you know, for richer or poorer, sickness and hell till death do us part. You know, whether this goes good or not, we were going, hey, we're announcing that we're gonna be in this thing together forever. And we are also renouncing all other options, no more like one foot in the field and one foot in the relationship. No more playing, uh, you know, looking at all of the other outcomes. I mean, to be clear, I didn't have any other options. I had one. <laughs> Sydney had lots of options, you know, I didn't have any options. But we're announcing all the other, like it, it's all gone. From here on, like, like, like this is the thing, all in. And Jesus looks at his disciples, guys, I, I wanna be really clear. Jesus never one time invites people to half-heartedly, halfway follow him. In his mind, there's no spiritual caste system. There's not like real Christians and radical Christians and casual Christians. There's disciples or not disciples. There's disciples or there's not disciples. He said, if you wanna enter into this reality, he goes, at some point you've gotta go all in. I remember with Jesus, there was a season in my life didn't know he existed, and then it was curiosity, and then it was infatuation, and then it was I like you, and then it was I sort of wanna follow you, and I sort of wanna try the ways of the world, one foot in, one foot out, and then it's I love you, and then it's I want to commit my life to you, and then on a Monday night, when I was 16 years old, I remember calling some friends together and getting in the waters of baptism, and it's like I want everybody to know from here on out I'm all in. And one of the ways the blessing of God flows into the life of a person, and one of the ways we help that blessing flow into the world is by unashamed, unashamedly and courageously calling people to go all in with the Lord. And I love this, look back at verse 19, because I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't give them this command and then say, hey, I want you to invite all of your friends to church, take them to the synagogue, and get the priest to baptize them. <laughs> What's the great commission? <laughs> because I'm sending you I'm sending you to do this incredible work of helping people go all the way in. I'm sending you into all of your spheres, all of your workplaces, all of your college campuses, and, and when people begin to grow in their love and their commitment to Jesus, he goes, you get the joy of inviting them to go all in. This is one of the things I love about our baptism nights, if you've ever been a part of these at Ethos. 
We, we, we bring up this horse trough, we fill it up with water, we'll do it again in a couple of weeks, and every person that gets baptized, there's like 30 people around them, why? Because our desire here at Ethos is that whoever has been discipling that person is the one that does the baptizing. And usually discipleship is a group effort. It's a communal effort. And so there's all these people that are there celebrating and cheering them on as they go all in on the kingdom. Think about all the ways that baptism happens here in our church family. I remember a few years ago, there were these college guys that were discipling one of their roommates who didn't know the Lord yet. So one night I get a phone call a little bit after midnight and uh, just a, a little pro tip. If you're over the age of 30, if you're not under the age of 30, you may not understand this, but over the age of 30, like, uh, when your phone rings after midnight, you just assume someone's dead. Like, if you're, getting a, if you're getting a phone call late, it's like, who died? And so my phone rings, and it's these guys, and they're like, hey, our roommate's ready to get baptized. We didn't know it was gonna come tonight. Uh, do you know any churches uh, that will open up their doors tonight so he can get baptized? And I'm like, no, I don't know anybody that I can call at 1230. And they're like, well, where should we baptize them? And you know, my brain is foggy, and the first place that I think of is this swimming pool behind the apartment complex that Sydney lived in when she and I were dating. And so over at Royal Arms, I'm like, hey, there's this pool over there, and the fence is pretty short, and you guys are athletic, and I think you can jump the fence. I think it's okay to break an entry if you're making a disciple. And so they're like, all right, we'll do it. And so um, the next morning, I called them at a normal hour when normal human beings are awake, and and I said, hey guys, how'd last night go? And they were just on fire for the Lord. They went, oh man, it's unbelievable. They said, we hopped over the fence, we got there, we forgot that we didn't bring towels or swimming trunks, and so we all stripped down into our boxers and we, we jumped in the water and we surrounded our brother and we sang a song over him and spoke words of life and we baptized him and, and uh, prayed for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in his life. And then we went to Waffle House till three in the morning. I'm like, wait, let me get this straight. Five college dudes in your underwear in a pool that you broke into, holding hands, singing songs, praying. <laughs> You're gonna get us in the news, bro. Like, can't do that. Like, just make a detour, get a towel, get something, you know. Just on fire. Just on fire. Think about some young women this summer who've been discipling a woman in their house church. She wanted to become a follower of Jesus, wanted to go all in. They drove out to this river just outside of the city. And on a Sunday afternoon, just baptized her there in the river. Just on fire for the Lord. Think about some guys in our church that have a Bible study every Thursday night. Bunch of dudes wanted to get baptized this summer. They're like, we wanna do it ourselves. We don't wanna come to the building. And so they said, we're gonna have a big barbecue. We're gonna shoot a bunch of guns. That's the most like redneck baptism service ever. But <laughs> they're gonna eat barbecue. We're gonna shoot guns. We're gonna baptize all of our friends for the glory of God. And so they're all baptizing these guys. Or I think about one of our, our friends who's uh, just a part of our family. And this summer, two Sundays in a row in the afternoon, he went to baptize some guys that he's been discipling uh, downtown at a pool in this high-rise development. He's baptizing them there in the afternoon as, as bachelorette parties are sitting around the pool crushing you know, margaritas and just hanging out. They're like, what's going on? And it's like the glory of God is breaking in. Guys, you realize Jesus never one time asked you to do the hard work and then let the professionals finish the job. He said, all the goodness that God's poured out in your life. He goes, I want you to go just steward that into the earth. He goes, I want you to help people go all in. But it's not just going all in. Second thing is if you wanna help people receive and steward the blessing, it's not just going all in. Secondly, you're gonna have to invite them to keep growing up with Jesus. You have to invite them to keep growing up with Jesus. I love verse 20. He goes, after you baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
Teach them to what? Shout it out with me. Teach them to everything I've commanded. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Guys, this is really important that you notice the order of this because if you don't notice the order of this, you'll end up with legalism. Jesus does not send them out into the world. He does not send us out into the world saying, teach the world how to obey all of the rules and then when they've done enough right things, you baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's the order of this? He goes, he goes I want you to send them out I want, you to help, uh, I want you to help them go all in, and once they've gone all in, I want you to commit the rest of your life to teaching them how to obey, teaching them how to grow up into all of the things that they've just stepped into. You know, that night when Sydney and I got married 18 and a half years ago, I did not know everything there was to know about love. I did not know everything there was to know about women. I did not know everything. <laughs> That's my wife that amen that. I did not know everything there was to know about Sydney, and and here's what's crazy, 18 and a half years in, I'm like, I think I'm worse at it now. Like, still learning, just the mystery of this. But, but the commitment was not perfection, it was persistence. Let's keep growing up into this thing that we stepped all in on. Let's keep growing up into this thing called discipleship that we went all in on. And Jesus goes, the way you grow into this is by wholeheartedly teaching others and helping one another obey every single thing that Jesus has commanded. Now, I don't know how you hear the word obey. Some of you are rule followers and you're like, I love the word obey. I want it tattooed on my arm. Like, you know, <laughs> you are compliant. Nancy's shaking her head. She's like, not me. You're, Nancy's kind of wild and crazy. So we, we understand Nancy would not like the word obey. Like, I don't love the word obey. Like, I'm not a rule follower typically. I'm a rule breaker. And you give me a rule, and I'm like, how do I get around it? How do I, how do I, how do I think outside that box? But Jesus is going to go, the, the, the way the blessing of heaven flows into your life is by understanding the reality that obedience is the key ingredient to helping you grow into all the blessing that God has made you for. And that when you help other people in your life that you love walk in obedience, you're actually opening a door of blessing into their life. You're not throwing shackles and chains and burdens on them. The word obey in the original language is a compound word. It was the word hupa, akue, two words put together, which meant under and hear, which is a weird phrase to think about. But Jesus goes, here's the way you help someone go from going all in to growing up into what Jesus, uh, to what I've made them for. He goes, here's how you help them. You help them hear everything that I've said under the covering of my authority. He goes, I don't, I don't want you to just tell people what I've said. I don't want them to just hear it, akue. He goes, I want them to hear it under my authority, hupa akue. Because it's possible to hear but not hear under authority. And if you just hear but not under authority, you never experience the blessing. I, I see this with my boys, uh, earlier this week, we were one morning getting them ready for school, trying to make breakfast, get them out of the house on time. That is like an act of God every week. And it's like, how can we do this? And so we're making breakfast. And one of my sons, uh, for whatever reason, maybe just because it was 7.15 in the morning, he decides, I'm gonna make the world's most annoying sound. <laughs> and so he just decides, he's sitting at the breakfast table, and he is making the, the most annoying sound. And one of my other sons goes, hey, buddy, would you please stop that? I, Sydney and I are trying to make breakfast. And, and, and he keeps making the sound. And then uh, one of the other brothers goes, hey, would you please quit making that noise? And two or three times as it gets asked. And so finally, 
I walk over to the table and I said, hey buddy, did you hear your brother asking you to quit making this noise? He goes, yes, I heard him. <laughs> I said, well, why'd you keep making the noise? And this was such a classic brother response. He goes, because he's not in control of my life. <laughs> and I'm like, true, like, it's true. And the, the truth is, one of my sons, he akuaid, he heard. But he did not hear under the authority. He just, he just heard. He akuaid, but Sydney and I now walk to the table and it is hoopa akuay, like under authority, like if you make that noise again. Jesus goes, help them go all in and then teach them how to live under, teach them how to live under the reality of my word and it will open the door of obedience, it will open the door of blessing. We could do a whole sermon series on what happens when you take obedience to Jesus seriously, what happens in your life. I love Isaiah, Isaiah 66 verse two. It says the person that hears the word of the Lord, trembles at it and walks it out in humility, receives the favor of God in their life. Obedience brings favor, did you know that? Or John 12, verse 50, Jesus said, I'm not scared to command you to do all the things of the Father because his commandments bring eternal life. Or John 14, verse 21, Jesus is gonna say that obedience is a key ingredient for intimacy. He goes, if you love me, you will obey me and my Father and I will come and make our home in you forever. Obedience opens the door for intimacy. Obedience opens the door for friendship with Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 13, he goes, if you obey me, I consider you my friend. Did you know Jesus loves everybody, but he calls those who obey him his friends? It's amazing. And he doesn't send the disciples out like a drill sergeant into the world, like, get everybody in line. He goes, no, you have received something great, and I want you to go out and to invite others into it, and the way they step into it is by going all in and then making the long commitment to keep growing up in relationship under the obedience of what God has called them to do. Think about the way that I see this play out so many times. I think about a friend of mine who leads a really uh, beautiful nonprofit and about a month ago, he was hanging out with a bunch of really wealthy philanthropists. And he's hanging out with them all day long and I said, hey, tell me about your time with those guys. He said, as we're hanging out, he said, I felt really called to remind them of Jesus' instructions to live with radical generosity. And he said, I challenge them to be obedient to that. He said, not to give us any money. He said, but just to give it to the poor and give it to the work of God in the world and to give it to advancing the kingdom. And I said, I said, were you at all nervous asking all of those guys to give all their money away? And he goes, no, because I believe obedience will open the door for blessing. He goes, I wasn't calling them to something terrible. I wasn't calling them to like suck it up for Jesus and He's like, no, I was calling them to walk in obedience, knowing that God would bless them. Or think about a few months ago, praying over the respond banner with a young woman in our church. We said, how can we pray for you today? She said, one of my roommates, who's a part of our house church, she just got engaged, and um, she and her fiance have been sleeping together and living together, and I just wanna challenge them to make holiness their priority for the next couple of months, because I believe God wants to do a blessing in their life but they can't be one foot in the world, one fed out. And she goes, I wanna call them to obedience. She said, I'm, I think it will be good for them. She said, but I'm a little scared because it rubs against the ways of the world. And I thought, isn't that the tension of living out what Jesus calls us to? Is it in our hearts we go, man, we know it's good. 
But I think even sometimes among us as followers of Jesus, we go, but the ways of the world are just so different. Because I want you to hear this. If you're gonna be part of this church family, ethos is not a place you go to. Ethos is is a family to which you can belong and from which you will be sent. It's not just a place you show up. It's a place that you gather. It's a place of belonging from which you will be sent. Some of you are gonna be sent to your neighborhood, some of you to your coworkers, some of you to your family members, some of you to your college campuses, some of you to the ends of the earth. All of us will have different assignments from the Lord. Different seasons come with different assignments, but all of them are for the glory of God. And we're sent out as men and women that have been marked by the extravagant generosity of God. And we go out and we say, hey, we wanna share this with you. When the time's right, we say, hey, you wanna go all in and let's keep growing up together. It doesn't matter what your career is. I believe this is our calling. It doesn't matter how you make a living, this is how you experience what it means to be alive. <laughs> that every day, in every way, you go, Lord, who are you inviting me to bring in and help grow them up in the ways of Jesus? And I do this, God, because I have first received your kindness. That's what it means for us to be not just disciples, but disciple makers for the glory of God and the good of the world all around us. And this is what's so beautiful. As I look around this room, and here's this crazy statistic to me. If just one-third of the people in this room took Jesus' words seriously this morning, if you just said, okay, I'm gonna take this seriously, and every year I'm gonna help one person become a disciple of Jesus, Think about this for just a moment. If one third of this room walked in obedience to this and you just made one disciple every year for the next 20 years and those disciples did the same thing, do you know how many people we would get to reach with the glory and the blessing of God over the next 20 years? 4.5 billion. The math is crazy. Some of you are going, that can't be true. It's true. It's crazy. One person, one person, one person, one person, one person, the genius of Jesus. He just goes, go all in, keep growing up, keep steward the blessing into the world. And this is one of the main reasons we think we are alive on the earth. And so I, I wanna just pretend for a moment that you're here and you're like, I think I wanna do this. I know that's not true of all of you. I'm not making the assumption that all of you wanna do this. Some of you are here this morning because the girl that, got, that invited you is hot and you're like, I think this may be a date. Bro, it's not a date. She just cares about your soul and <laughs> we're glad you're here. Um, we hope you'll keep coming. But I just, I wanna assume for a moment that you are like, hey, how do I live this out? Um, what are two things that would keep you from actually living it out this week? And I'm just gonna name these real quickly because a lot of times I have this desire but then I never actually get into first gear. So what would keep you from living into the Great Commission this week? I could give you a lot of things but the first thing is this. At some place in your life, you are lacking a real relationship with the living God. So one of the things that will keep you from living out the Great Commission is at some place in your life, you are lacking a real relationship with the living God. Maybe you've never gone all in. Maybe you went all in when you were in college or high school or in your early 20s and then you got distracted by the cares of life and you quit growing up. I don't, I don't know what it is, but at some point, you quit walking with the living God and things began to break down in your life. And the truth is, you cannot give away that which you do not have. 
And so how do, you, how do you live as a conduit of the blessing of God into the world? Well, you have to be walking in living relationship with the Lord. And for some of you this morning, it's okay, I wanna go all in. We have baptism cards on the communion tables. Fill those things out, drop it in the give box, come over to the respond banner, come find us afterwards. We wanna help you go on all in with Jesus. Or for some of you, maybe it's just a recommitment and I just go, don't put it off. Like, like let this be the morning where you recommit your, your heart to the Lord and you go, hey, Lord, I wanna serve you with zeal. I wanna know you deeply. So what keeps us from living out the Great Commission? Somewhere there, there might be a breakdown in our relationship with the living God. But the second thing is, may, maybe you have a relationship with the living God. Second barrier, I think, to living the Great Commission this week is you just get distracted by the ever-pervasive realities of life. You'll leave here and your calendar for tomorrow will start you know, calling your name and all of the commitments and all of the things. And it's, a, it's amazing how easily I get distracted from the Great Commission. If you were to ask me like, what I think about the Great Commission, I'd say this is one of the most important teachings that Jesus ever gave. Very humbly, Sydney and I have tried to give the majority of the last 20 years together to making disciples. Not perfectly, but like, this is the passion of our life. And almost every week, I'm reminded of how easy it is for me to get distracted from the main thing and to give my life to lesser pursuits. Just a couple of weeks ago, our family, we were going up to Philadelphia to help launch this, this gathering of young adults and college students, almost 6,000 folks that were coming together. I kid you not, for 10 hours to recommit ourselves to the work of the Great Commission. So that was the purpose of what we were going to. And so our family were there in the airport getting ready to go to this amazing encounter, this amazing thing around the Great Commission. Like, that's the mission. That's what we're on earth for. And we're sitting there in the airport waiting to get on the plane at Southwest. And there's this guy at the gate, 24 years old, just graduated from Old Miss. I discovered that later. He had missed multiple flights that day, had been bar hopping all over the Nashville airport, was sufficiently inebriated by this point wearing a really vulgar T-shirt, talking on his phone way too loud, and, and just using crazy bad language. And, and uh, so there we are at the gate, and everybody's looking at this dude like, what is going on? Now, you would think that here we were getting ready to go to this conference on the Great Commission for Young Adults, and I would have looked at this guy and went, man, there's an opportunity for the gospel. But I looked at this guy, and I'm like, what an idiot. It's like, what I felt in my heart. I, I'm not proud of it. It's just how I felt. So we get on the plane, and we're sitting there on the plane. Sydney and a couple of boys are in front of me. I'm sitting in the aisle row behind her with one of our other sons. There's one empty seat on our row, and there's an empty seat across the aisle from me. And here comes the dude from Old Miss. And I'm like, oh, man, I bet you this dude's going to sit right beside me. And so he comes all the way down the aisle, and he sits across the aisle from us. And he immediately starts talking to two other college students that are there uh, right beside us right beside him, and they're talking so loud. They're like the loud plane talkers, you know, and just so brotastic and so loud, and I was like, oh. And so I did what any good Christian pastor would do. I got out a book about Jesus and started reading it and turned my back to them, and I hate that this is true, but it's what I did. So about 10 minutes into this plane flight, they're talking loud, all the stuff's going on, and I hear this young college student sitting by the guy from Ole Miss. He says, hey, I wonder if you've ever met my friend. The guy goes, who's your friend? He goes, my friend's Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I kid you not, it was unbelievable. It was like a master's class for the next hour, this college student from the University of Missouri in the most gracious, kindest, 
gentle, humble way, just kept sharing the, the goodness of Christ over this guy's life. And he said, hey, when you sober up, if you wanna learn more, he said, here's my phone number, call me. He goes, I'd love to help you meet this guy. And I was just sitting there, I was so humbled, and, and I was like, man, God, I did not want that guy to sit by me. And the Lord's like, I didn't want him to sit by you either. <laughs> but I wanted him to sit close enough so you could be reminded why it is that I put you on earth. Just got distracted. <laughs> I got distracted on the way to a conference about the Great Commission. I'll get distracted on the way to lunch today. <laughs> and so we use this month and we just come back and we go, Lord, we have received the goodness of the Lord. Use us to pour it back out. Use us to pour it back out. Use us to pour it back out for our glory and your joy and our good. And I love this. This is why we end every teaching every week with the communion. We come to the body and we come to the blood and we're reminded that before we do anything great for God, Christ Jesus died for us. And that when I was a loud talking, vulgar, annoying college kid, the grace and mercy of Jesus found me and ripped me out of the wreckage, just like he rips all of us out of the wreckage. And now we're just one beggar showing other beggars where we found bread. And the Great Commission is why you are alive. And I believe God wants to do something if we'd recommit ourselves, if Jesus' last words become our first priority once again. So here's what I wanna invite you to do. Let's stand this morning as we get ready to receive the communion. We're just gonna pray a prayer that we often pray at Ethos. And we're just gonna send one another to the table of grace and this will be our sending as well into the world. We'll end with a song or two of worship as we receive communion. I just invite you to just put your hands in front of you and to just repeat this prayer out loud after me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for pouring your kindness out on us. Thank you for forgiving us, healing us, knowing us, providing for us, and entrusting us with the good news of Jesus. Father, would you send us again into our city into the nation, into all nations, to show the world and to tell the world that they are loved by you too. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, I love you. Let's receive communion together. It's on the tables around the room. If you wanna go all in with Jesus, there's some men and women that respond banner. We'd love to meet with you. You can fill out the baptism cards. You can take a step. You can recommit your life. But if you're receiving communion this morning, come back to your seat, circle up, pray together, confess together. Maybe you need to confess that you haven't been all in and you wanna go all in again. But let's pray together and then we'll end with a little bit of worship. We love you.